It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports. With Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, the Horn. At least in parts of the area this morning, I saw the gloom and the murky fog-oriented sort of stuff burning off. But now that I'm nestled here at the ARN compound here in uh, Westlake Hills, we're back to being uh, murky, gloomy, foggy. And that's not a uh, philosophical statement. That is purely meteorologically speaking. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. To light the tower on the horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital here on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. My name is Craig Way. So glad to have you with us. Alongside Jeff Howell, be along shortly. Our producer, as always, well, I say as always, he wasn't here yesterday, but but, but duty called for the radio station. He had legitimate reason for that. If it, you know, uh, otherwise, he's in his chair, and that's Cameron Parker. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, Craig. I'm excited for uh, Big 12 basketball this week. Absolutely. What, now, what was the deal you were doing yesterday for the station? I know that we had uh, Happy Jack Farrell uh, sitting in for you yesterday. What was it What was it you were up to yesterday? So yesterday, the WGC match play that's taking place yep. in about two weeks, they have a media day. So me and uh, Stu Myrick, Suplex mm-hmm. Stu, was out there with Jacob Standard, and we were getting some content uh, for the match play that will be posted later on. YouTube and the Horn social media, so stay on the lookout for that. Um, you got me to thinking here for a moment because Stu Myrick, of course, he sidelines Stu on the Lake Travis broadcast. Super Bowl Stu, when he's at the uh, at the Super Bowl there for us, he is uh, what is it? Suplex Stu. Well, that's a, that's a wrestling term. So for the right, match play, right, for that, know, what's and, and good... so that's what I was going to ask. What's what's the golf? Is he slicing stew? I, I don't he know. He didn't swing a golf club, so oh, okay. I don't want to say he slices it because he might be a great good golfer. He might be uh, full swing stew. Could be that. You've seen Stu Myrick. Do you think he's a great golfer? I don't know. Yeah, hey, I played with Ed Clements yesterday, and he was striping it everywhere down hey, the course. Fast Eddie can he can hit the ball. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about that. He can he can definitely do that. So, uh, so anyway, no, that's good and uh, good stuff out there. And you know, it is kind of sad and wistful a little bit. Everybody knowing this is going to be the last one of these, yeah. the Dell match play thing. And and here's what's even sadder: <laughs> I've never been able to go. Yeah, because I've always you know been busy. It's 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 fallen right around that overlap between basketball and baseball. And there's always a baseball weekend or. Uh, a Sweet 16 basketball weekend or something like that that's happened that's taken me away from. And so unfortunately, I'm going to, you know, it's going to run its lifespan here, at least in this current format. There's little hints here and there, the the, the nudges and winks and, uh, you know, hints dropped by folks over there that, uh, or at least, you know, with with the PGA that maybe it's not the last time that we see golf in the, pro golf in the area uh, you know, in any form, there there may be something down the road the way that they were hinting about this, but in its form right now, the match play based on how golf, the world of professional golf, 
has turned and how uh, the golf consuming public uh, takes its golf now that this format mm-hmm. is not going to be able to fit into the schedules that are working. That that's unfortunate there, but uh, but maybe we'll see something on down the road. Hope yeah, so anyway. Would hope so. Houston stepped up and now they get the event that was usually going to be the Austin week. It won't be a match play in Houston. It'll just be the Houston Open that they play down there. The Shell Houston Open. The Shell for, Houston yeah, Open, yeah. So, but I would love to see pro golf return to Austin. It's been a great event, and it's you know it's sad to see it leave. Growing up in Greensboro, North Carolina, we had a regular PGA Tour stop, the Greater Greensboro Open. Now it's I think it's called the Wyndham. Mm-hmm, Wyndham uh, Championship. Yep, yep. Uh, it was the GGO. When I, when I grew up, I started going to it when I was 11 years old, I think. In fact, first time I ever fell out of a tree was at the GGO. What was it? <laughs> 1972. Uh, 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 Tommy Aaron and George Archer are coming up 18, tied for the lead. They ended up going to a playoff. And uh, and I was trying to get down. And my parents, my dad was walking toward me and said, come on, let's go. We were doing something like that. And I climbed up in a tree, a really good big oak trees and maple trees and stuff to be able to see over the top of the crowd. And I start to come down and I go to swing on a branch and I'm whoop. And just completely mm. fell out, knocked myself out for a couple of minutes, and then got up, dusted myself off, and went on about my business. But yes, I I grew up going uh, to see pro golf at the at, at the GGO, and um, and and really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed going. And then, of course, my years working in Dallas, we did golf on the radio. We did the the, the Byron Nelson, and we did the Colonial. And um, it's a very unique play by play experience uh, to. To talk golf on the radio, to to do play by play, stroke by stroke, as we call mm-hmm. it, stroke by stroke coverage, because you know how it is with me with basketball, or football, or baseball. You know, football, I'll say, you know, um, Longhorns come out. They have the, uh, two wide receivers on the short side of the field, split left, two more wide right. Third down and seven. Here's a shotgun snap. Back to yours. Play action. Back to throw over the middle. Ball caught. First down. Texas. Blah 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 blah. Basketball. Whatever. Longhorns bring in the front court, car across the timeline, sees Tyrese Hunter open, 18-footer, got it, blah, blah, blah. So you're you're into the excitement of the moment. Baseball, you know, uh, here's the 2-2 pitch, swings and hits a high drive to deep left field, back to the warning track. You could say goodnight to a home run, blah, blah, blah. Your regular volume level play-by-play stuff. Golf, <clears throat> here's Tiger Woods, Got the red cap, uh, the black cap, red golf shirt, a blank sign. Standing over about a 15-footer, down the hill, left to right breaker. Played back, ball on way in a hold with a chance to go. Breaks to the right, and he knocks it in for the birdie, blah, blah, blah. You start off very low, and you have your golf voice. So it's a different kind of play-by-play. But it's fun. It's really, really enjoyable. Always enjoyable to be joined by my co-host, the pride of Northwest Williamson County. Proud graduate of Florence High School. Always. You know him best for his outstanding work at Horns 24-7. He was very, very busy yesterday on the first day of spring football practice. That would be Jeff Howe. How did the Greater Greensboro Open compare to the uh, Greater Waterbury Open? Is it comparable in terms of prestige? Just a little, yeah, yeah, a little bit different. Just, just a little bit different there. Uh, were, you, were you still in Dallas when... The uh, the ticket got folks banned from covering the Byron Nelson, or were you already down here? That happened after <laughs> okay. I left. Because what happened is right before I came down, that's when KRLD, in terms of the 
AM side of things before the fan, before you know, 105.3 The Fan up in Dallas, which mm-hmm. is owned by KR. It's KRLD-FM. Right. Before that even came into existence, any sports that was done was at our radio station with Brad Sham and Chuck Cooperstein and me and George Dunham and Craig Miller and all of us. And then when the ticket started in 94, they started to obviously get really, and they ended up getting the stroke-by-stroke stroke broadcast rights. We had one year where the two, because they were owned by the same company at the time, yeah. we kind of shared resources, I think, in 95. But other than that, they did it. But I heard about that. I heard they, they were getting people banned from the golf course. Yeah, that's... Uh... That's a story for another day. So it is. I'll be honest with everybody. I'm just going to go ahead and spoil it right now. Oh, the two kind of hot button items coming out of the press conference yesterday, and I yep. gave a quick overview of practice. Okay, you bottom did. of the hour notebook. We'll dig into the Xavier Worthy thing. We will play the audio that was omitted from the YouTube clip. I have the the audio of Sark's rationale for not disclosing the Xavier Worthy injury. We, we'll get to that, and thank you, Cameron, for cutting that up this morning. We'll get to that, and then probably throughout the second hour, because I don't know if we'll have full-on time to get into it in the notebook, we'll get into Sark's comments about the quarterback situation. There isn't a quarterback controversy as much as people might have tried yesterday to assume there was one. But The key word there is conversation. It's quarterback conversation. The conversation is what Sark wants it to be competition and conversation, not controversy. In other words, uh, guys pushing each other to be to be better. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll dig into it in, in the second hour. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll do that. Um, obviously, there's college basketball to discover. Uh, you know, you mentioned, Cam, you were excited about the Big 12 tournament this week, both the men's and women's event. The men leave today. Uh, they'll get up to Kansas City. Uh, they'll have, um, I believe they have, I think each team gets like 40 minutes on the floor. Maybe it's 40, 45 minutes, maybe 50. It's either 40 or 50 on the floor uh, where they just get a chance to shoot at the rims a little bit, get a little bit used to that. But their full-fledged practice will be uh, off campus, uh, I believe. Uh, I say off campus, not you know, not uh, not in uh, the T-Mobile center it's uh at a nearby uh, community college is where they'll do that uh and then of course on thursday morning they'll have a shoot around uh it'll be relatively early because they got an 11 a.m game thursday so so there'll be that happening uh but I'm, i've gotten used to seeing that as well you know jeff we've talked about uh the the, the infamous i can call it infamous shutdown of the tournament three years ago when we were there yeah uh, which was what one week after you and I started doing a show together? Didn't we start March the fourth, mm-hmm. and it was March eleventh? It was that. It, it was it was that because um, it was a Wednesday because Texas and I guess it was Thursday when Texas and Texas Tech. I was were I was doing a pre pregame show. Not yeah. sure if I, if anything I said was going to be valid right. at the top of the hour. And well, it turns out it wasn't. Yeah, it, it turns out it wasn't. It was actually uh, eight days after you and I had started doing the show together, which was on the 4th. This was on March 12th because they had had the play-in games the night before. They had had those. Um, the uh, They'd had the, the 8 versus 9 and 7 versus 10 games. They'd had those. 
And the thing that also comes to mind that I always remember about that is, you and I have talked about this, I'd come off doing the Southern Conference Championship game for Westwood One, and I did see that last night when we were doing Longhorn Weekly with, with Vic Schaefer, the Furman. I watched uh, five minutes of the SoCon Championship last night. Did one. you really? Yeah. Yeah, Furman and uh, Chattanooga were playing. Furman, known as the Paladins, had just the word Dins. Across their uniform, yeah, that's kind of weird. But the Dins, more goofy, uh, short for Paladins. So um, I had done the game three years ago, which was East Tennessee State and Wofford, and then left the next day, and I got to Kansas City, and then and then on that Wednesday, we were inside the arena, and we had been told that once we got in there, and the fans were already there, and the bands were there, and all that, that the next day. There were not going to be fans in the arena. There'd be like a group of about a hundred of family something behind the benches, but that was going to be it. No bands, no cheerleaders. And I remember sitting there looking around, and I think it was a TCU um, playing. Might have been K State. This the same matchup of this year, or TCU and Oklahoma State. I guess it was maybe. Anyway, I was sitting there watching that and thinking to myself, "How weird this is going to be tomorrow." Little did I know that it was that it was going to be. That sort of thing. But the point I was going to make is the next day when I was in there and was on the air with you and right before the shutdown, when I walked in and we set up, uh, I don't think I've mentioned this before, before and get ready, Baylor was on the floor getting in their day of game shoot around. They were like, I think, uh, you know what, number number one seed, number two seed, number two seed, I think that year. And, uh, and they were going through their – Game day shoot around early more like nine uh nine to ten, I guess it was. And so the Bears were on there. I remember seeing them go off the floor and saying and saying hi to John Morris and then setting up we were to do the show. And then that's when I went back in and recorded the pregame with Shaka Smart and Shaka said, I don't think we're playing today. ADs are meeting right now, but let's go ahead and do this. And so we did the pregame interview and sure enough it ended up not happening. But I, but my point was is that they're even in the early morning there on a the game day, there are shoot-arounds in Texas. Probably we will have one on uh, Thursday morning. I'll, I'll double-check that. By the way, texters, yes. I do know why the ticket was banned from the Byron Nelson. We're just not going to discuss <laughs> We're not going to discuss the specifics of it on the air. But, yes. That's probably I'm, a good idea. I'm very well aware of what, what got them banned. Um, <laughs> any, anything, uh, anything, Craig, you heard about practice yesterday? Or, you know, I, I had a report and uh, everybody's got their reports. Anything from the start of spring ball? Jump out at you, top of mind. Coming uh, well, into first today. of all, let me make one correction. Okay, uh, the Longhorn shoot around is not going to be in the arena because they're not going to. They'd rather the guys get to sleep in a little bit and then have breakfast. That they're going to do their shoot around uh, at a nearby college on game day on Thursday. So okay. they, it'll it'll be done on. They will not do because you're only allotted a certain amount of time in there, and they're going to be in there tomorrow uh, as it stands. Okay, to your question, uh, I, the the things I heard were the things that you're going to spotlight. That was top of mind for you, the Xavier Worthy bit and the yep, uh, yep. yep, quarterback, uh, yep. quarterback stuff. Those were the those were the those were the two. Uh, those were also the two things, mainly the quarterback thing, on the local newscasts, right? That you saw last it, night. Those you know, were the sound bites that ran from that. Sark talking about the quarterbacks. I think media entities are going to get a lot of views, a lot of you know, airtime is going to be spent, listenership, viewership. Anytime you mention anything about Arch Manning and Quinn Ewers, it's gonna sure it's gonna get up there. I, well, I, I noticed it. it. I noticed it 
doing Longhorn Weekly last night on one of the screens, Jeff. They had they had uh, Longhorn Network on, and they were um, first. They were I found this ironic, showing the women's loss to Baylor, and it was right when we were like starting the show with Vic. You know, they were showing that, but the, but the, and then after that was the uh, national championship volleyball documentary, and on the crawl on the bottom. It, their their headline was, and it was kind of what reads like what you'd read on ESPN two or ESPN yeah. something about um, uh, Ewers, comma Manning to compete for starting quarterback job. I think it was like like it was going to be breaking news on that kind of thing. That's an ESPN. I, I I I would hope that the folks who listen to this show, folks who listen to the station, folks who you know follow sites like Horns 24-7 that really understand kind of how Sark operates at this point, I I would hope that they're smart enough to not fall into that trap. Right. You know, I would expect the casuals to fall hook, line, and sinker for that and be like, oh, man, there's a quarterback controversy in Austin. But I think Texas fans who follow it day in and day out understand exactly, and, and we'll get into that next hour full on, but I, I would hope so, Craig. That's my hope. That, okay. That that's okay. the case. Hey, you can help with this. What's um up? we were saying cuz Cam and I were talking about right before we got in about how yesterday he was out at Dell Match Play Media Day and he was out there alongside Stu Myrick. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, if it's Super Bowl Stu and Sand Trap Stu." Oh, I love that. Oh, I love that cuz somebody else said a golf swing Stu. No, no, no. Sand Trap Stu. Oh, I love that. That's down market He's sand traps too. Okay, <laughs> you didn't even soccer, have to think about that. Just, soccer stew, yeah. sideline stew, yeah. suplex stew. Yeah, yeah, Super Bowl stew. Yeah, yeah, sand traps stew. Yeah, okay, that's good. That's good. Um, last night we had a uh, final seasonal edition, of Longhorn Weekly, special women's basketball edition uh, with Vic Schaefer. Now. I'm going to tell you something, and then you'll be able to hear it, and you'll kind of understand where where we were going with this. Uh, You know, on the heels of winning the Big 12 Conference Championship, and so uh, I think I opened the show by saying we really wanted to time out well uh, our last show for women's basketball this year. So we picked Monday, March 6th, and it just so happens it's uh, there to do it, uh, Longhorn Weekly, with the coach of the Big 12 Conference champion, Texas Longhorn. So that got the fans excited, and they – Got to you know we're excited about that. We were talking about that. Um. Also yesterday, the Big Twelve Conference uh, honors, the awards, were handed out yesterday. It had been the day before for the men, and uh, yesterday it was uh, it was the women's. Now, you need to know um, something that that uh, came out of that. The uh, in case you didn't hear it, uh, first team All Big Twelve, Rory Harmon, Deanna Gaston. Second team All Big Twelve, Shaylin Gonzalez. Uh, all defensive team, Rory Harmon. Defensive Player of the Year, Rory Harmon. Ashley Jones of Iowa State got Player of the Year, um, and I think Danny Davis of the Statesman made a good point when he said it's more like a lifetime achievement award for her because Rory definitely outplayed her during the year. Rory was one of only two players in the country averaging 12 points, five rebounds, and seven assists. The other is Caitlin Clark, who's going to win National Player of the Year. No, but, you know. So, uh, uh, Amina Muhammad, named to the all-freshman team. 
uh, Shaley Gonzalez, who was with us on the program, newcomer of the year, and the coach of the year was Vic Schaefer. Now, the uh, media relations people get the word a little bit earlier just to prepare their coaches and student and student athletes for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they let them know. So that's Jeremy Rosenthal who handles it and has done a fine job in his first season at the helm there for Texas women's basketball. And so Jeremy is telling Vic Schaefer all the awards, and he's running it down and running it down like, okay, okay, yes, that's it. And he gets to coach of the year, and he tells him uh, Jenny Baranchik of Oklahoma won coach of the year. Now, Jeremy knew full well that Vic had won, but he just wanted to see if he could get a rise out of it by telling him, and he didn't. I mean, Vic was like, you know, fine, okay, all right, and and so on and so forth. So you've probably seen the social media post by now uh, for Texas women's basketball where Rory Harmon then in the locker room informs Vic after he had told all the players, you know, where the, the ones that got all Big 12 honors. Mm-hmm. And then she told him, what Jeremy told you was a lie or was not true. You're the Big 12 coach of the year, and they all go crazy. It was a nice Okay, moment. that makes the clip make a lot more sense now. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. all right. So playing off of that, you're going to hear my reference to this at the end of this. This is last night uh, from Pluckers, which was heard on 105.3 The Bat. And uh, and and this goes into a conversation where I'm, I'm asking Vic Schaefer what it means to for this program – in his third season as head coach, for them to win the Big 12 title after they'd gone 19 years. The last time they'd won it was 03-04, a shared title with Kansas State. So, uh, so, that, so you'll hear my follow-up where we're talking about the Big 12 honors. And there's kind of a, an homage paid to Jeremy Rosenthal's effort. So this, this was last night from Longhorn Weekly. When you win a championship... And, and go through the the experience that they've gone through. You know, it's it's the it's the journey, right? And um, I think it validates the things that I've been, you know, that I try to instill in them off the floor every day as much as on the floor. That you know, it's not easy. Um, I've said this now a couple times. Everybody wants to talk about winning championships. Like that's just like the easiest conversation that. <laughs> everybody can have and yet nobody wants to do what it takes to win a championship and um, these kids have done it uh, and have done it in some really adverse situations Um, um, and so I I think again I've said this this is a season like any I've ever been through I've I've never had so many injuries so many kids miss so many games Um, and yet I've got a couple kids that like Shaley I mean she's logged every game you know, played in every game, played big minutes in every game, um, hadn't missed a beat, hadn't missed a practice, hadn't whimpered one time. And and so you, you really come to appreciate, you know, somebody like that. And and so, um, you know, it means a lot. I mean, it just – you don't take any of them for granted. Like, I don't take any of them for granted. I, I uh, you know, you, you just – you just never know, just like this season. I mean, good Lord, who knew we would go through everything we've gone through when we started back in the summer and when we assembled this team. And and so you just don't take it for granted. You, you appreciate every 
every minute of every day uh, with this group, and um, they're a special group. You know, they've they've really persevered, and um, in today's world, it's hard to find young people that can do that. True enough. Uh, I, I did, before we get to the break here, I did want to get to uh, the Big 12 Conference today announced its awards for, uh, for uh, women's basketball. And uh, I wanted to, uh, for those who have not heard, these were the award winners that involved the University of Texas. Defensive player of the year is Rory Harmon. The, uh, the newcomer of the year is sitting right over there, and she's going to join us in a few minutes, uh, Shayla Gonzalez. First team all Big 12, Rory Harmon and Deanna Gaston. Second team all Big 12, Shayla Gonzalez. Big 12 all-defensive team, Rory Harmon. Big 12 all-freshman team, Amina Muhammad. Coach of the year, Jenny Baranchik. No, 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 it's not. It's not. Uh, coach, coach of the year is is, uh, is, uh, is is Big Schaefer. You think I should take that? He's getting a phone call right now from CDC. So he's going to go. I'll tell you what. I'll let you take that call. We're going to take a break. Yeah, uh, that's where it ended. Uh, So, yeah, I was playing off of the Jeremy Rosenthal effort. Coach of the year, Jenny Baranchik, Oklahoma. And then that's good. He loved it. He he laughed about it a lot. And, And it is true. I saw his phone. It was sitting right beside us. His phone was blowing up during the show because the announcement came down at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. So people were just in, and we, you know, we did the show at 6.30. So people were, at that point, uh, calling him, and the phone was just constantly going off, and uh, I'd see some big names pop up and women's college basketball. But the first one to call at that point said Chris Del Conte. So... He was calling to uh, congratulate him on being named Big 12 Coach of the Year, and, and others did as well. So it was it was fun night. We had a good time. Uh, had a good conversation with Shaley Gonzalez, and uh, and then with Blair Schaefer. So we got got the perspective of of the quote unquote coach's kid, his the assistant coach, and uh, it was good. We had we had a good time awesome. last night. Yeah, women play Friday at one thirty at historic Municipal Auditorium in Kansas City. Somebody said, I heard you say historic about that. Why is it historic? Well, more than the fact that it was built in 1940 in downtown Kansas City, uh, to this day, it is the building that has hosted more Final Fours than any other building. Men's Final Fours. Uh, now, the last one was 1964, and there'll never be another one in there. It's it's a 10,000-seat arena. But uh, it, they've had great, great... Finals in there, uh, North Carolina beating Wilt Chamberlain in Kansas in triple overtime in 1957. John Wooden winning his first national title in 1964, the, the last year they played it in there, with UCLA beating Duke in the national championship game. So it's a neat old building, uh, a lot of um, really done nicely uh, Art Deco style with a lot of the architecture and stuff on the inside, uh, and just and – just, Really nice and and a great arena for that tournament for the women's tournament and uh, that'll be one thirty Friday afternoon. Texas will play the winner of the eight nine game since the Longhorns are the one seed. They'll play either Kansas State or Texas Tech, and uh, they play on uh, Thursday evening, I believe at uh, at six o'clock or five o'clock. Anyway, so that's that's what's going on there. All right, coming up. 
We have our Longhorn Notebook. So brace yourselves for what Jeff Howe has in store. It's got a little audio. We'll talk about the Xavier Worthy stuff. We'll do that. And uh, we'll later on continue to talk uh, college basketball. Hey, uh, special treat for you tomorrow morning. Jerry Palm, one of the two recognized big-time bracketologists, along with, of course, Joe Lenardi of ESPN and Jerry for CBS, for uh, Jeff's parent company there, right? By the way, Jerry's got Texas right now basically as the second number two seed as of this morning. Wow. By the way, jumping Texas, Marquette. Yeah. Marquette's inching inching into the territory of a number one seed. I don't think they'll get there, but. Yeah. Uh, Tomorrow on the program, tomorrow morning, it'll be right out of the gate in the 10 o'clock hour. We'll visit with Jerry to talk about, obviously, the Longhorns' position as he sees it, uh, the rest of the Big 12, the bubble teams, the one seeds, all of that sort of stuff. So Jerry Palm joins us tomorrow morning uh, right out of the gate in the 10 o'clock hour to talk a little bracketological prognostication. Thank you for that. Okay. Uh, This is Light the Tower. Here on the Horn, 104.9, 101.9, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app at hornfm.com. Light the Tower. This is Light the Tower on the Horn. CB on the Specs text line at 337-3776-512-337-3776. Said, aren't we at or near the three-year anniversary of Light the Tower? It was Saturday, to be honest. March 4th uh, was was the first day that we had that three years of uh, Light the Tower on then. So we, uh, we sally forth. We continue to move onward. Uh, with this. Uh, right now, it's time for our Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. Longhorn Notebook brought to you by Aaron Bowersock, your home loan expert, your Longhorn lender. See if Aaron can do for you what she did for Linda and me, and that was to get that home loan approval turned around in a snap. She is, after all, the person who can make that 10-day home loan approval guarantee a reality. Check her out on the web at bowersockteam.com, B-O-W-E-R-S-O-C-K, bowersockteam.com. All right, let's uh, let's go ahead and get to this audio. So Steve Sarkeesian yesterday reveals that Xavier Worthy played pretty much the last half of the season with a broken a broken hand. Now, what specifically the injury was, uh, we don't know. But everybody's heard the Sark quote from yesterday, how, how it bothered him, and, and you know, he's expecting to see a different Xavier Worthy. Well, like I said at the top, and uh, Jim Fortuno pointed out from the Associated Press, heck of a reporter, good dude. Jim mentioned this on Twitter that they cut the exchange he had with Sark out of the YouTube clip that went out to everybody. And I think this actually provides some context on why Sark delayed the, why he didn't make the announcement. And furthermore, what was the severity injury? Now, Sark didn't go into specifics, but you'll catch something here at the end. Uh, and you'll hear a follow-up from Kirk Bowles that further explains, further gets into Kind of how bad was it? So keep in mind what you heard yesterday, what everybody digested. And I, w- I want to play this audio right now. And, and I think this provides some some more context and some background for it. Why was there secrecy about that? 
because I don't have to tell you. Okay, I understand that, but Xavier but clearly had a year that people were kind of questioning what was going on with him. This would have been a pretty big development. on. And our opponents would have known, too. Okay. So we have a lot of injuries that can occur on our team that may not keep a player out, um, that we don't disclose, um, A, to protect the player, and B, to protect the program. In, in hindsight, do you wish you played somebody else so because he was limited? No, I felt like he was the best option for us. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Two things there. One, when Sark's talking about an injury that might not keep a guy out, Craig, you've been doing this a long time. I've heard from plenty of assistant coaches over the year. There are a lot of guys that play through a lot of various injuries throughout a season Mm -hmm. that the general public doesn't know about. Absolutely. For those exact reasons. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. That's just the way some coaches operate. To protect the program and to protect the, uh, the dissemination of information that could help an opponent prepare Facing it, knowing that a certain player is injured. Some coaches some coaches handle it differently. Yep. Sark's approach is real similar to Mac Brown. And it's from the standpoint that there's no need for that information to be out, don't want it out, and I'll let that out whenever I'm getting ready to let it out at the appropriate time. Yeah. Um, I will also add this. When Mac was doing it, uh, remember that was right at the time when you started hearing more and more about HIPAA and what they could say. And and Mac was able to pretty much pull the curtain across the HIPAA curtain across, and was just like, "Can't talk about it, it's HIPAA," you know. And it would just and it would just go. It would it would be like that. Yeah. Uh, but this is now beyond where there's where there's things that they can say. So then it comes down to the head coach making the conscious decision. I'm not going to say anything about this player, yeah. other than because think about it. Last year during the year, um. Sark would say somebody would ask him about a injured player. What's what's the status of of uh, of Roshan? And he'd say he he's making progress day to day. We'll we'll see how it is. And that's and he prob- usually like like the Quinn injury last year was the big one. Yep. He got out in front of it on Monday and said, "Don't ask me about him. He's day to day." Blah blah. And as reporters on the Thursday availability, we still have to ask. Like that's our mm-hmm. job. You, you have to ask. And Sark's free to answer however he wants. Right. Like I said, different coaches handle it different ways. Like, <laughs> I, I love Charlie Strong, but Charlie would like often bury the lead with injuries. Like I'll never forget the Monday after the North Texas game, his first game, it gets through. You know who played well, all this stuff, and then oh by the way, uh, David Ash is out forever, and Dom Espinosa has a broken ankle. Any questions? Yeah. Right. Why don't we rewind that to the part where your quarterback's going to probably miss the rest yeah. of the year? In his um, and then I thought Tom Herman at time was maybe. Too descriptive <laughs> with injuries, but the it's, pubic symphysis when he was talking about Jordan Whittington. But that's the way Tom wanted to run it. Like, hey, he would. I'm the head coach. He, he wanted he wanted to understand the science. So he explained that to me. Yeah, uh, and then so I mean, now was I crazy about the fact that it pluckers that he went pubic symphysis and said it really loud like that and and he wasn't trying it just it came out like that and we all kind of all of a sudden didn't seem that uh, yeah appealing. it kind of cringed a little bit there but he was about i'm not total i'm lying dis- cam holy mac is always appealing yeah right uh had some last night in fact um uh the dissemination of the information yeah. uh in in how he 
chose to do it because he was really into studying the science of the injury itself. With that, knowing, knowing Tom, the little I knew him compared to uh, your interactions with him, it was more of, hey, I'm the head coach. If anybody's going to release injury yes. information, it's going to be me, and I'm going to make sure it's out there. So that way right. nobody's going to hear anything from a source. It's going to be here's what it is, here's what we're dealing with, and here's how we're helping this guy rehab. For better or worse, that's that's what it right. is. So there's that part of it, and, and I, I certainly get that for Sark. But getting to his later comments to Jim's question and his answer to Kirk's question, I think that tells you the injury. It's one of those weird injuries where it's bad. It clearly impacted the guy's play, but he didn't have to have surgery. To my knowledge, was never in a hard cast. He was in. I mean, he we saw pictures of X on his Instagram where he's wearing the soft cast. Yep. It was just one of those deals that, and I I don't know. This this is speculation on my part. What I'm about to say is it one of those deals from the training staff and Craig again over all the sports you've covered. You've heard this. It's like well. I mean, it's not good, but it's probably not going to get any worse. Right. So it kind of is what it is. And Can't it do becomes, any more damage right, to it. It becomes or... a pain tolerance thing. Like he said, that's speculation on my part. But it was bad enough that it bothered him, but it was not bad enough to where he was going to have to miss time. Right. So it's kind of one of those borderline injuries. And uh, I, I don't know if he mentioned – oh, I, I think he mentioned it uh, in there. Like there were times in practice where, you know, he wouldn't – was that the the clip we just played? I forget where he was talking about. Hey, sometimes we'd hold him out of practice, just wouldn't throw balls to him, just give it time to heal. But that's how they chose to handle it. Now the other part is his answer to Kirk's question. Where, well, and I think this is to me is is the bigger question. Okay, it was bad enough that it hampered him, not bad enough to keep him out. Why continue to funnel usage through him as often as you did? And I think Sark's answer to that was we felt like he was the best option. Now. You can get into the nitty-gritty, and I would certainly uh, agree with this part of it. I heard Rod talking about this on Ball Don't Lie yesterday, and we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the Blitz when it got around on Instagram. I think Brennan Marion put it out that X was dealing with a broken hand towards the back end of the season. And that's what I said. I, I think it, I'm in the camp that it was bad, but not bad enough to where Sart could lessen the usage of him because yeah. of how often he was used. Now, could he have funneled more targets to Jordan Weddington? Could he have funneled more targets to Bijan? or Roshan, or Jatavian Sanders? Certainly. He certainly could have. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was what it was, and that's why I will contend that as good at, time, as, at, as, good at times as the 2022 offense was, they left some meat on the bone. They're, they didn't max. The offensive capability was not maximized last season. Even though you had a unanimous All-American, you had a Doak Walker Award winner, you could have gotten more out of that offense than what you got. And I think part of that would have been taking some of the burden off of X by funneling your passing game usage to other guys. Now, how did it exactly impact Xavier Worthy? I went through and crunched the numbers, and I looked at pro football focus. So some people might have dropped numbers from other resources, but I went to PFF and looked at all the Big 12 teams and their drops. Uh, Do you realize, Craig, there were only two teams last year that had fewer drops in the Big 12 than Texas did? Really? According to PFF, Kansas had the fewest drops with nine, which we know – they, especially once they were without Jalen Daniels, they just didn't throw the football a whole lot. K-State with four, with nine. K-State with 14, they don't air it out a lot. Then tied for, I guess that would be tied for eighth in the conference or seventh, however you want to look at it, were Texas and Texas Tech with 18 total drops. 
Xavier Worthy had seven drops. That was tied for second in the Big 12. If you look at you know, drops compared to targets, that's 10.5% of his targets were dropped. If you go to 2021, though, he only had three drops on the year. 4.6% of his targets resulted in a drop. So that production was really out of whack. And, and we could tell, like the eye test could tell you, okay, there's something that's not right with X. And if Sark had mentioned this right after the season or right after the bowl game, could it have prevented some of the blowback that X got where I think people could assume, oh, he's lazy, he doesn't care, he's immature, blah, blah, blah. All the stuff that you saw flying around on social media about Xavier Worthy, could Sark have cut some of that off and basically given his wide receiver a little bit of a cushion? Absolutely. But then, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, as a coach, and especially Sark as a coach who was a player, are you conflicted between I need to protect my guy or is that going to sound like I'm making excuses for him? And how does X want to handle that? Maybe X didn't want him to announce it. Like, no, I don't want that to sound like an excuse. I can handle whatever is going to be said about me and whatever, you know, conclusions are going to be drawn up about me in the court of public opinion. So it's one of those deals. There's a lot of gray area in here. I felt like me personally, I felt like the earlier Sark could have announced that the better and not in season, like do it, do it immediately after the bowl game is over. Right. You know, do it uh, in early January, whatever. And, and this would have been out about a month ago if he would have had a signing day press conference. But there wasn't one of those, and it wouldn't have had to wait until the first day of spring practice. Right. But I digress on all that. It was handled the way it was handled. X is healthy, and hopefully we see a much better, more consistent, more productive Xavier Worthy this year. I just think, Craig, at the end of the day, everything I said, the bottom line is there's a ton of gray area in here. And I think I think what doesn't need to get lost in this, too, just because he had the hand injury Does that mean Xavier Worthy doesn't need to mature? Does that mean there doesn't need to be some growth? No. Both things things can be true. He could have had a hand injury that hampered his play, but he could also need to mature and need to grow up a little bit and need to take a bigger role on this team uh, because he is one of your better players. So there's a lot of stuff that can be true. There's a lot of gray area, but the bottom line is, yes, he did have a hand injury. Yes, it did impact him. And I think we saw that a little bit, too, Sark's adjustment. Go back and look at how much 12 personnel Texas ran with two wide receivers and two tight ends. And part of that was when he talks about being a better option, that goes back to that whole deal we talked about all year last year. Nobody ever really emerged as that number three receiver. Casey Kane got a shot at it, and you know, probably once he dropped that ball against Iowa State, we didn't really see him until the bowl game. And they really leaned on Bijan and Roshan from that point. They ran more two-back stuff. Again, used more 12 personnel. So we saw Sark adjust a little bit. I just felt like there could have been more adjusting and a better way to funnel production to your healthier playmakers to take a little bit of that burden off them. But just, again, just to me, a ton of gray area. No doubt about it. Uh, and, um, and, and, you know, knowing X, he would be one of the guys who would try to who would tell you, I know I have to be better the next year. He's the, the the competitive side of him has a lot to do with this as well, where where it goes from from here and his work ethic and everything that he puts into it as well. So, I mean, it's it's important to to, to keep all of that in context as well. And CB and a couple other texters bring up the point: Did Sark what he did? What he did? What he did? So Worthy wouldn't transfer. 
maybe, but I don't know the answer to that. Nobody yeah. knows the answer to that except X and Sark. Those are the only two people that can honestly answer that question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it, it it became a popular topic of conversation to use last year when things weren't going well for him. That you know, the thing that bothered me was reading all the stuff from people who said he's just mailing it in. He's not giving he's not giving effort and all that stuff. And that's. That's a perfect example of not knowing all the facts and rendering judgment. That, that's that's why I don't like going there. I don't like going there. And yeah. Craig, you, we've been doing the show for three years, going on going into year four. Yep. I don't like going there saying, "Oh, so and so, they took plays off, or they, you know, they didn't give a whole effort." Like, no, you're I, not I in practice. You don't know. Yeah, like I, I'll tell you, there's a there's a Texas player playing in the NFL right now that was dogged. For a couple of years about, oh, you know, he, he doesn't tackle the right way. He doesn't, you know. And if people knew the severity of the injury he was dealing with when some of that stuff was being said, that, that stuff wouldn't have been said. Yeah. But again, it's it falls into that gray area of I'm going to – and Sark is well within his rights to do this. I'm not saying he owes anybody an explanation or whatever, but th- the coach views this is how I'm going to protect my player. This is how I'm going to protect the program. And it is what it is. So. Yeah. Yeah. We can, uh, we can continue to discuss it, and feel free. Specs text line is open, 337-3776, if you got anything on that. So uh, we'll get to that. Coming up, we do have Inconceivable next when we continue to light the tower on the Horn, 104.9, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Light the tower with Craig Way and Jeff Howe. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the horn. I don't think it miss what you think it miss. See what you yeah. yeah. The stuff the stuff that gets talked about during the breaks would sometimes a lot of cases make for better content than what actually goes out over the air. Yeah, yeah, probably <laughs> probably uh you're right about that. Uh we have uh, another one of these weird deals. Well, actually there's a couple of strange items with regard to air travel. Can I give you an NCAA basketball inconceivable real quick? Absolutely. I was watching the bottom line on ESPN, and now I'm looking at uh, my laptop. Do you know that Jerry Palm and Joe Lenardi both have the exact same first four out for the field of 68 right now? That I did not know. Wisconsin, Oklahoma State, North Carolina, Arizona State. And they they both have them in that order? I think... Oklahoma State and Wisconsin might be flipped, or maybe it's North Carolina and Oklahoma State, but yeah, it's the same four. Well, that tells you how important Wednesday night's game is for the Cowboys, that Bedlam game with OU. And then, of course, they would play Texas next. It's one of those deals, I don't know if they're in with a win, but they're certainly out with a loss. No doubt. The old thing about you can't win the Masters on uh, Thursday, but you can lose it. Or Saturday, but you yeah, can lose L- it. Yeah, Lenardi's got it flipped a little bit. So okay. Palms first four out in order: Wisconsin, Oak State, North Carolina, Arizona State. Lenardi has Oak State, Wisconsin, Arizona State, North Carolina. Okay, so he's got Oklahoma State. Order. He's got Oklahoma State as the first uh, the first team out. Lenardi does. Yeah. Okay. Jerry right. Palm has Wisconsin as the first team out. Okay. And again, uh, Jerry will be on with us tomorrow morning. We'll talk about this. Okay. A couple of disturbing uh, flight uh, things. 
Uh, you have uh, one thing with a man. Are, are you? Uh, are you? Are you f- like random? Are you f- searching for these? Or are they just no, randomly just no. coming to you? The, the the sources that I go to. This is the, one of them is man arrested after allegedly trying to open the emergency door on a plane and stabbing a flight attendant. Jeez. With a broken metal spoon three times. Good God, man! That was on an L.A. to Boston flight, and then he tried to open the uh, exit door. He hit the flight attendant. On the neck three times, uh, then tried to open the emergency exit door and jump out of the plane. How did he get a metal spoon onto a plane? Yeah, that makes sure. He believed the flight attendant was trying to kill him. Jeez, Apparently, according to his word. Now, he was, uh, always like this word, subdued by the uh, other passengers and stuff. They subdued him. Uh, Translation. They beat him down a little bit after that. So, uh, yeah, you had that. Uh, that was one issue. And, so this uh, dude, he made a shank out of a spoon? Yeah, pretty much. Stabbed a flight attendant, then tried to break out the exit door. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you had that. And then um, there was another one here where a man uh, was in trouble and was uh, on a flight and they had him in uh, zip ties. You know, had him had his mm-hmm. hands tied up or restrained. The old Mardi Gras cuffs. Yeah. Yeah, he got out of them. Now think about that for a moment. That that, that somebody was able to get out of that. Um, so, and again, restrained. So, it's pretty, subdued. It's pretty tough to undo a zip tie. Yeah, that takes that takes some talent, I would say. Um, all right, got a couple of uh, stories for one of one of them is um, the FBI is investigating the suspicious death of a woman. This death that's never a good thing. I know it was a release on Sunday, and uh, the death uh, took place on a Carnival cruise ship. So. Uh, the woman found unresponsive. Reason 764 why I'm not, not a fan of cruises. Um, woman was found unresponsive during the ship's February 27th voyage to Nassau in the Bahamas. Medical staff and crew members attempted life-saving mem- measures after learning she was unresponsive, but the woman was pronounced dead on the ship. Said both the deceased and her husband were debarked in Nassau. And Bahamian authorities have already investigated the circumstances and are conducting an autopsy. They said they're cooperating. Um, So they processed the passenger's room for evidence over the weekend. The incident was isolated. It wasn't a threat to any other passengers after the woman was found dead. Uh, The FBI investigates suspicious deaths of U.S. nationals as well as, quote, certain crimes on the high seas. So... That's how it's according to the statement. Uh, uh, the if you're going to say that, you got to say that. Uh, like if you're going to announce that, you're, you got to announce that with a uh, with a pirate accent. The death on the high seas. Somebody somebody texted in and said that when I just did Mac Brown that I sounded like Bill Clinton. I didn't think so. Mac is just you know, you know. No, that neat was deal. You started deal. Clinton, but you got into Mac. Yeah. Clinton is, we're going to, you, you know, you have to there understand there's going to be a lot of things we don't tell Mrs. Clinton. So that's <laughs> that's that's a little bit different on that. All right. Uh, so here I was telling you about this death on a cruise ship. 
perfect time to let you know. Did you know that you can live on a cruise ship for $30,000 a year? Why would yeah. you want to do yeah. that? Yeah. It says, have you ever dreamed of giving it all up, leaving it all behind, and hitting the road to escape all of your responsibilities? Sounds good, doesn't it? No. It's also expensive. Um, it did sound expensive until now because now a cruise company, it's called Life at Sea Cruises. Life at Sea. Arg. Life at Sea Cruises is launching a three-year, 130,000-mile escape-your-daily-life cruise for a relatively affordable $30,000 per year. I'd just go Leon Phelps and get me a houseboat. Okay. If that was the case. They've opened bookings, this Life at Sea Cruises, for a three-year voyage on the MV Gemini, which sets sail from Istanbul on November 1st. So on November 1st, 2023... So you have eight months to get your passport, your vaccinations, and your remote working abilities in order. The company is promising to tick off 375 ports around the world, visiting 135 com- countries and all seven continents. The ship will cover more than 130,000 miles over the three years, taking in iconic sites from Rio de Janeiro's Christ the Redeemer statue, India's Taj Mahal, Mexico's uh, Chichen Itza, the pyramids of uh, Giza, uh, and and several a Great Wall of China, that even slots in trips to 103 tropical islands. And of those 375 ports, 208 will be overnight stops, giving you extra time in the destination. Thirty grand. I mean, that doesn't sound appealing to me, but it sounds more appealing than the people that leave their worries behind by living like the van life, or you're, yeah, you know, toting around your grunt in a like a bucket or something. Right. Yeah, that doesn't yeah. sound appealing to me at all. Okay. Well. I did also want to let you know that the uh, the latest list has come out. You know, today's National Cereal Day, and her Bucky and Aaron talking oh, about it. Oh, it is? That. Yeah. Your all-time favorite was? <sighs> like, I've got to pick one. Like, yeah. it's the last bowl of cereal I'm ever going to eat, and i got yep. to pick one. Yeah. You get one. I'm, pro- I'm probably going Fruit Loops. Okay. You and Mickey Tettleton, the former big leader. Probably going Fruit Loops, yeah. Okay. Great batting stance, Mickey Tettleton. Yeah. Same exact age as me. Really? On the same day, same year. Same exact age as me. Mickey, you know. I'm actually a few hours older than him. Former Ranger great, by the way. Yep, yep. Uh, Favorite cereal, Cam? Honey, bunches of oats. Okay. There you go. Honey, bunches of oats. Mine would be Cocoa Krispies. What's the sparest cereal you guys can think of? Like one that's just like, oh gosh, why is that a thing? Cheerios? Regular Cheerios, I'm not on board with some of the flavored ones. I like honey and vanilla are very good. Yeah, yeah. I think like Rice Krispies, that one. Oreo Cakesters, where they kind of try to do like a little snack cake thing. Those weren't bad. Those weren't bad. Yeah. Um, Yogos, like the little bitty yogurt. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that was just some of them on the 50 discontinued uh, nostalgic foods list. We have second hour of Light the Tower coming Still up. Still no chicken whopper return, by the way. Nope, not there. Didn't make the list either. We'll continue to Light the Tower on the one.